Ambition Empower is a professional education program. It's directed towards design leaders and UX professionals interested in upping their game through a continuous learning journey that engages you in small chunks every week during your membership. Find out more by visiting uxpodcast.com forward slash empower. UX Podcast Episode 296. Hello, everybody. Welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson. And Pat Axbo. Balancing business, technology, people, and society with listeners all over the world, including Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and joining us today is Tim Yao. And Tim coaches introverts to have impact and influence without pretending to be extroverts at The Quiet Achiever. And this is a topic that really resonates with us as I think both James and I, we identify quite strongly as introverts, but also manage to have an impact in the industry, for example, through the podcast. Tim um, is also a design leader, speaker, and a book binder. Really interesting, that one. And and has a reputation for saying complex things simply, which, um, no, that is something that we definitely appreciate um, from our podcast guests. Now, in one of Tim's articles, Tim shared a light bulb joke. Now, normally we finish our shows with terrible dad jokes. Um, but this time, I think it's a nice idea for us to start with one. Because it'll it be, I think it's a pretty good introduction to the, um, the, the topic of, of, of introversion that we're going to cover today. How many introverts does it take to screw in a light bulb? Why does it have to be a group activity? Welcome to the show, Tim. Uh, we love that you had that joke, since we always, like James said, we have these dad jokes. And I think this this kind of addresses some things about introversion that, that people have this sometimes misunderstanding about. What is introversion? And I know that people conflate it with being shy and stuff like that. But give us a bit of a, an introduction to this topic. What what is What does it mean to be an introvert? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And for a long time in my life and my career, uh, there wasn't a vocabulary. Uh, there wasn't a way to describe what I felt I was. I think it was in 2012 when I watched a TED Talk by Susan Cain called The Power of Introverts. And it was really, and it was a really light bulb, light bulb moment for me. Um, hmm. Really even having that language, hearing somebody else about their struggles and what it was like growing up and not really feeling understood, not feeling as if you fit in um, and just being quiet. Like when you hear her talk again, it's still one of the most popular talks on TED Talks. And yeah. hearing her describe how when she was a child, growing up in her family, reading books on her own quietly, even as a family, as a group activity, was the norm. And then all of a sudden, um, being thrown into the deep end of the working world where it's a lot of extroversion, where there's a picture of what a leader looks like and it looks like very much like a, an extroverted style of leadership. And it was really only from, from listening to that talk and then comparing that with my own experience 
working in design for the last 18 years in Singapore and in Australia. And it's very much the same parallels. We live in a world that desires this extrovert ideal of what leaders look like. And even early in my career, um, I've always felt like I wanted to make a difference, to lead and to, to care for a group of people and manage and lead them. But in contrast to that, it's always this picture of what society paints a leader looks like. Um, I think that's true. I think that's true in Asia. I think that's true in Australia. And in the conversations that I had with coaches, people that I've coached in the US and in the UK and everywhere else, that same, that same social expectation of what a leader looks like is still very much true around the world. So I felt almost like um, a need to actually share some of the things that I learned uh, in the time of my way of working uh, that has allowed me to have impact without trying to be or pretending to be an extrovert. Because the truth is for a very long time, for a very, very long time, I pretended. I mm. thought that's what a leader needed to be. So I tried very hard to pretend and be able to give speeches at the drop of a hat and to try and be that model of what society says a leader looks like. And for a while it worked, but it was always, it was always very tiring. It, I always finish each of those encounters just feeling completely drained. And it was only over time that I realized, you know what, like there has to be a better way. There has to be another way that feels a lot more authentic. That's, that's very much me. Another way that I can operate that will allow me to have impact without me trying to be like somebody else. So that's really where things really started for me. And it started from actually watching Susan Cain's talk on, on TED Talk called The Power of Introverts. And that really was that light bulb moment for me. I think I recognize the, the, the light bulb moment because as Per said in the intro, um, I mean, both me and Per, we're, we're actually ambiverts. We're, we're, we're introverts, extroverts, or whatever phrase you want to des describe it. And, and for me, that's something I didn't. I didn't understand either for most of my time growing up. That you know, always been the, the chatty child. I could I could talk any time. We kind of felt like with anyone. But at the same time, I, there were situations where I really, really wanted to be you know by myself. I enjoy being by myself. And that contrast between being able to be extrovert at times and then a, a lot of time just really, really not wanting to to partake in extrovert activities creates a creates anxiety, creates a, a feeling of, well, I know that that's not me all the time. And, you know, when you get an expectation, because you, cause you do do talks, like, you know, we do podcasts, we do presentations, we do things where the, it fits more into the, the extrovert skill set, then you then lay out an expectation that you can deliver that on demand all the time whenever someone else wants you to be extrovert. And, and that's not how it works and it, it, it's 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 a struggle to deal with that expectation mm. Mm. i think what um what really nailed it for me was really understanding that um it's a spectrum right it depends on context the people that are around you at the time i could be the most extroverted person if i'm around my family or close friends and it's a safe environment i've known people for long periods of time you know, I could be, yeah. I could have those kind of extroverted be, um, tendencies. But then you put me in a room, like in a networking session pre-COVID, 
and I walk in the room and I don't know anyone in this room and it's the first time seeing these people, you know, and I'm there. I don't know anybody and it feels awkward. I try to exchange eye contact with people and they're not exchanging eye contact with me. And then I find myself just standing in the corner of the room wishing that, you know, why was I here? Like, why did I even try to even come here in the first place? Like, I just want to go home and, you know, watch mm. Netflix or just read my book. Like, it's, mm. it's, it really depends and changes on the context and the people that are around you at the time that really determines your behavior. Yeah. yeah, I think I think um, I mean I I noticed as well living in Sweden and and being in a lot of situations where I'm speaking Swedish, then I've I've realized as well that there's there's yet another angle to the spectrum is kind of Swedish gems and um, English gems, and and how my my social my extrovert introvert balance is when I'm speaking Swedish is different to how it is when I'm speaking English. And that, that's also difficult for other people to understand and me to understand um, I have to deal with at times. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I struggled with when I first came to Australia was when people ask you, how are you? Um, what I learned was sometimes they're saying, how are you as a way to say hi? They're not really asking how you are. But when I came here to, to a new country, I actually told them how I was. <laughs> so if I was having a bad day, I'll tell them, oh, this thing happened and that other. And then the conversation would go five minutes too long. Yeah. And yeah, some of these social norms are things that you have to learn. Um, and some of them are more awkward than others. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. I can really identify with that. When you hear people ask, how are you? And you uh, my my instinct is to actually respond to how I am doing, but really they just want to hear how are you back, and that's it. <laughs> what I really appreciate about appreciate about your message is that you're you're helping people understand that they don't have to abandon their true selves and be someone else, but they can actually still be who they are and cope with the situations that sometimes would appear challenging to introverts because they don't have the tool set or the skill set to actually start start uh, like networking and uh, doing small talk like you were giving an example of uh, and I, for me it, it sort of goes back all the way to schools and how you're always encouraged you need to raise your hand you need to speak up more because that's expected of you and so that all all of that built into that thing where you thought well there must be something wrong with me because other people can do this but what you're saying is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with you it's just another way of being and and you can still be as you you advocate for can still be a really good leader with this skill set yeah i mean i heard you use the word per use the word cope and i think cope is is a good word but what i think is a even better word is if we can see the world differently and see that our introverted ways is actually a superpower you know a lot of the times with extroverted leadership and there have been studies done with this um Extroverted leaders may feel a lot more um, threatened if, let's say, people were to offer an opposing view, whereas introverted leaders might be more willing to listen if a better viewpoint comes up. Um, I think there are traits like willingness to learn, to observe, and listen. All of these traits, none of which are only unique to introverts, it's just that if you are the kind of person that's happy to, to listen and to soak in and understand and observe, and you're comfortable being with the quiet, there's probably a lot more things that might might come to you than if somebody might be 
a lot more energized, for example, and to to be wanting to seek out that kind of stimulation because you know that's what they crave. Um, and it's it's just just changing and seeing that and using those as strengths rather than saying um, yeah, you seeing those as superpowers and as strengths. Is it always the case? Do you think then that it's always best to have an introvert as a leader, or are there still kind of situations where? the super superpower of being an introvert leader it doesn't work and that we should maybe have an extrovert as a leader well that's the thing um it's something that i am trying to actively do more of um as part of the choir achiever because a lot of the time um a lot of people that leaders in our design industry that you and i you, you and i both know they don't put a name tag on themselves and say i'm an introvert you know this is who i am and um, for other introverts that are struggling and seeing people, uh, introverts that are in leadership positions, it's not an automatic thing. Uh, so one thing that I did try to do was simply to go out to network and to find design leaders that I felt might have been introverts. So that other introverts like myself who might be starting out um, have some kind of model uh, to say that, you know what, being who you are, that's also who I am. And I've been doing this, for example, if a design leader like Bob Baxley, for example, he's been doing this for way longer. And and nobody, I, I just had a suspicion <laughs> that he was an introvert. Uh, I think it might have come up in one of the podcasts I heard him give. Uh, and I reached out and I said, yep, I, I am an introvert. And then I asked him if he would like to, to speak at one of our events. And he hasn't yet, but he will. Um, but I did the same thing with a few other design leaders. And the whole goal is really to let people see that, yeah, you know what? Yes, we may not wear a name tag and say that we're a design leader and we're an introvert. But I think it's important that people see that we are out there. That, yeah, maybe we're quieter. Maybe we don't advertise it. But also for them to to hear their stories so that they can feel seen and also give them the confidence that, yeah, just being an introvert and to achieve that level of success is possible, is is definitely something that they can achieve as well. Would it, would it be fair to say then that the important thing is for a, a leader to understand that people on their team could be introverts or extroverts and it, they need to be accommodated in different ways? Yeah, so there are a couple of things there. Um, team selection, um, if you yourself are an introverted leader, you know, there's a lot of the introverts that I've coached, uh, a lot of designers that I've coached have tended towards introversion. Um, I don't know why, that's just the case. My suspicion has been that if you like an activity where you are on your own, quietly with your headphones on, pushing pixels for hours in a day, uh, and if that task does not bring you energy, it's probably not an occupation that you have for a very long time. Um, and, and then somehow through the progression of how people progress in careers, designers who are really good at design then find themselves in leadership positions because, you know, that's that's how for a lot of people career growth happens. You're really good at doing an IC job and then you're promoted to become a people manager or a leader of a function. And then oftentimes they just realize, you know, I spent my whole career getting so good at doing this one thing and then all of a sudden... I am responsible for people and doing performance reviews and hiring and interviewing and 
giving public like giving presentations at a drop of a hat all of a sudden i had this world of activities that require skill sets that i do not have mm. it's a very confronting situation um i think we've heard a lot about imposter syndrome about people struggling trying feeling like they're faking it till they're making it but i think the message i do want to give is that you know what actually all the skills that got you here they can be that foundation layer that actually allows you to do that next thing very well. Like key things that come naturally to a lot of introverts I speak to is listening, listening more than speaking, trying to read the room and understand what's going on, what are people's intentions. Um, I think these are all things that in the conversations I've had with introverts are things that come much more naturally. Um, and in that sense, that makes it a superpower. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point there of, of reading the room, um, and and I think that's maybe something where well, oh, so introvert extroverts also can come into the the, the game even more because um, I mean I I notice over the years then I've become aware of the fact that people are even less likely to talk than me in meetings, so so then you you do try and open the door to allow them in and. And I don't. I'm. I'm going to guess and, and say that maybe being an introvert extrovert means that I'm more understanding to the fact that they exist than if I was a pure extrovert, where I don't even think about the door needing to opening it because I'm already there in the doorway. Um, and that's that's something definitely I think oh, I, I'd like to help with. Which was the second? Which comes to the second thing that I mentioned earlier. Like I think a lot of people don't realize that. If you're a new manager or you inherit a team or if you do have a current team as a leader, you can actually you can actually design the kind of team that you want to have. You can choose the kind of people that you want to hire. You can choose the kind of behaviors that the team should operate under. You can choose how the culture that you want to live. Like all these behaviors, all these things is, are really things that you as a design leader, that's, that's your job. You know, you get to choose what kind of team you want to be. And I think a lot of times people don't realize they kind of just inherit and, oh, this is the way that things are. But actually, you could intentionally say that these are the ways that we operate. Um, when we're in a group environment, you know, no one gets to hold the microphone. We get the chance to actually pass the microphone to everyone so that everyone does have a turn to say something. And so that we can open up the conversation to even the quieter ones in the room. Um, mm. I think th that's the key thing. People have to realize, people in leadership positions, if you're a design leader, that yes, if you are responsible for a group of people, you can actually design the kind of team you want to be. Yeah. That makes me think of uh, something I've really appreciated over the years. Uh, and I've been lucky to have like managers who have seen that I don't like to <laughs> occupy the room that much. I'm quiet in meetings. Uh, but after a while, they, they ask me directly, what do you think about this, Pat? Uh, and that gives me the space and means that people will then quiet down and won't interrupt me because then I have a space to to say something. Uh, I, obviously, that won't work for everyone. But in, in, in some settings, that has really been excellent for me to to get that space. Uh, yeah, I know that's something that you uh, have also mentioned is that if you are like an introvert design leader, that you should think of hiring social butterflies that you can lean on, which was interesting because that means that you they, they will actually 
<laughs> occupy the time of the people who might interrupt you so that you can actually focus on the things that you want as well. Yeah, and that is one of the things that you mm -hmm. can do as a design leader. Mm -hmm. I mean, today in in the best of teams, we already hire and recruit so that we have diverse teams. Um, this is just one other aspect of neurodiversity to hire against. And, you know, depending on the hiring practices, it's never good, in my opinion, to hire people who are all the same. You get homogeneous teams get homogeneous ideas and if you want uh, compelling different ideas that make a difference you want people from different perspectives and introversion ambiversion introvert extroversion is just one other way that um, you could fill out your team with um, and then hiring a social butterfly um, was really just something that I learned because somehow in the teams that I've had I've always really enjoyed having them on the team because Clearly, networking doesn't come naturally to me, uh, and it still doesn't come naturally to me. And having someone like that in the team doesn't, you know, absolve me from the need to network and to show up when I need to. But it does take the pressure when there are times when I just want to sit back and listen, not to have to do those things that they can actually pick up the baton and and do those things for me. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, rather than you have to go out there and, and like make first contact and be the networker you've got your social butterfly who effectively warms up leads for you it's like oh yeah you can you can talk to that manager or that person they're the one you should talk to and and you're ushered in which is mm. probably i guess a bit more um oh you, you feel more at ease with that that entrance oh yeah and butterflies will do what butterflies do like I remember one story <laughs> where um, there was an extrovert on our team and she had been at the company for maybe a week. And by that time, she's already met the heads of the CEOs <laughs> and the CFO. And I had yeah. no idea how to, how she did that. But she can open up doors and conversations. She can, yeah, she can share what she's heard and she goes go share what, with them what she's doing, what the team is doing. And that just comes very naturally to the person. But it also makes me think that the the opposite, this may be a bias or prejudice that I have, the opposite is more difficult to argue for. So if you have an extroverted design leader and you have a team full of extroverts, uh, how do you help them understand the benefit of hiring an introvert? Because they, I'm thinking now that, well, the the their prejudice would be that they wouldn't fit on the team because they aren't as open or or won't, won't, be, won't want to attend the same number of meetings or the same number of after work events, stuff like that. So how do you encourage extrovert teams to, to hire introverts? I don't know because I haven't seen that many. Um, ah, I mean, I think one of the earlier, mm -hmm. uh, most of the introverts, most of the designers that I met have been tending towards introverts. If there are any other extroverted mm. designers and design leaders out there and you are clearly an extrovert, send me an email. I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk <laughs> about your teams and we can figure this out how, how you operate. But um, aside from a couple of people that I've met, like Max Hanley and Peter Merholtz, they've, yeah, aside from the two of them, I couldn't tell you any other design leader that I have interacted with that's clearly an extrovert. Um, most of them have been introverts. Again, that's a sweeping statement and the offer mm. still stands. 
please, I would love to talk to you if you feel like you're. But that's super person. interesting because does does that mean that the design profession naturally attracts introverts? Do you think so? I don't know. Uh, I I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah. Um, just looking yeah. at this podcast, where we have yourself, Per, and James, both of you identify yeah. as maybe introverts or maybe an ambivert. But uh, I I do think if your yeah. job is to design and push pixels and to do the thing that designers do for long periods of time, yeah. working in an open plan office, designers had to learn how to get both headphones to find that peace <laughs> yes, and quiet exactly. that they need so that they don't get frequently <laughs> interrupted. I think with a lot of the engineering peers that I used to work with as well, I, I would say most of them will also tend towards introversion. Um, maybe it's just mm. a, a, a thing about our industry and the people that are in it. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I mean, years ago we did a podcast about um, 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 imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. And, and the research of, that was connected to that interview was showing about how um, the prevalence of, of imposter syndrome in designers was, was higher than other industries. And um, there's also more, f more female designers um, than male. That's at least there's this kind of research that both those things are higher. So there's a there is something about our industry that 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 clearly isn't quite um, you know average in many aspects. Uh, whether it's imposter syndrome, um, no, um, gender, um, no, and 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 so on. That there's 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 complex aspects to who we are as a industry. Yeah, sounds like um, Per and James, you guys should do a survey uh, through your podcast. <laughs> And just oh, yeah. see how people identify. Mm. And yeah, I'll be mm. curious to find out. One thing that I wanted to get to was actually your, your practical advice on, on tools and, and behaviors that you sort of can help you get over. I used the word cope, which you, you told me to avoid a bit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention one a tool that I've used a lot uh, that people are surprised by, but it helps me so much. And that is recording a video of yourself. And you gave the example of when you're you're calling to a meeting that you you would actually record the video and or instead of having a meeting, uh, but I do it so often now it's just become natural to me that I, I I'm supposed to describe a new design sketch or something I record the video and I can send it around and I I, I don't have to be in front of a person when I do it which is beneficial in so many ways. And I'm so glad that you brought up that point because at the onset of COVID and asynchronous work and working remote. Um, a lot of people were struggling with uh, Zoom fatigue, too many meetings. Mm -hmm. So many companies couldn't figure out how to work remote. Like everyone all of a sudden was just having to figure this out. It was the world's largest social experiment of how to actually work remotely. And for a lot of companies and a lot of places that I've been, the way that they work remote is to take everything that they did in an office and copy-paste into a remote environment. Mm. But uh, after two and a half years of working this way, I think we all can agree that that doesn't work. Um, that, you know, people, when they do work remote, especially during in the middle of a pandemic, you don't just have work, you have people at home, children, people that need your attention, time and care. That working that time from nine to five or nine to six chained to your desk in front of your computer just doesn't work anymore. Um, and people struggle. And one of the ways 
uh, one of the techniques that I recommended was to actually record a video of yourself. Um, because one of the things that I've heard from coaching introverts is people sometimes find it hard to speak up and and when they don't, they don't get the practice. So it's a it's a vicious cycle where you don't speak up, you don't present because you don't like it, so you don't do it. And then you just get quieter and quieter and quieter. So recording a video of yourself is actually a really good thing because number one, you get to practice, you get to get a really good take. And then once you feel like you've had the best version of yourself doing the thing, you can just send it out. And the other benefit is that now that it's a video, you actually save yourself time. You, you can save yourself from doing those same monologue presentations again, because anytime somebody wants to know about the thing that you did, it's not a meeting anymore. It's not a meeting. It's a five minute video that you can just send to them and they can watch it in their own time at 9 p.m. after the kids are in bed. And that's when they perform at their best. So it's not just, you know, having to, to do less meetings. But it's also the virality of how, you know, your your message gets to live on. Even when you are asleep, you don't have to be awake to to deliver that message. You can people could be sharing and resharing this presentation that you did. And the compounding effect here is that you as an introvert, having done a short five minute presentation, all of a sudden people around the company might be watching what you have to say about a particular design. And this whole time, no one can interrupt you. You know, you are, it's a video. They're watching it. You've done it. You've delivered it. They've sent it off. And yeah, it, it, it's been, uh, it's really been a very good piece of practical advice. The challenge here though is like, I think James was saying at the beginning when James was sharing that uh, he had this record of um, this song that he sang uh, over 30 years ago and he hasn't listened to it before. The first few times that you watch a video of yourself, it is going to be very, very, very uncomfortable. You will probably hear your own voice and you're wondering, wow, do I sound that high pitch? Because the, <laughs> the, the voice that we hear when we're speaking live is usually, uh, what was it? When you watch a video of yourself, your voice sounds two octaves higher than you think it is. I think that's what the research says. So the first few times when you hear yourself speaking, you will feel uncomfortable. You will notice the little things that you say, like the um or the ahs, and then it just feels horrible. Um, but yeah, I think the reassuring thing I like to tell the listeners is you will, you will feel a lot more comfortable and yeah, you'll get better at it. And it's a really good technique to try and increase your own visibility. I had, I was I'm thinking back now to to the joke we started off the show with um i'm designers does it take to change a light bulb and and the answer to the joke or the response to the joke is well why does it have to be a team activity um and i think we talked a lot about meetings and so on do we do we have to have team activities do we have to have meetings uh general rule that i have these days if it's a monologue, if it's not something where you actually want to build on an idea, if it's a monologue, um, it doesn't have to be a meeting. We've been, I've been in so many meetings where it's an opportunity for someone to download what they're thinking 
or an opportunity for somebody that hasn't had the time to prepare and they just want to show up and perform and to download and show it that way. Um, I think a powerful way of working asynchronously is really just, you know, instead of a meeting, just taking a time, a little bit more time to just deliver this message through, through a video, for example, as one example. And then people can then watch that when they are at their best. I think as well, you, you, um, you know, I, I feel comfortable or there's a lot of situations where having a conversation with another human, just one-on-one -on -one is, is something which feels much more um, productive. Yeah. And like brainstorming ideation sessions. Um, a lot of times, I think a lot of people I've spoken to struggle about performing on the spot. Like you have this expectation that if you book a one hour meeting and everyone shows up, nobody's heard of what you're going to brainstorm. And all of a sudden people are expected to come up with the best ideas ever on the spot. I think, I, don't, I can't think of many stories I've heard of the best product decisions or ideas that have come up in situations this way. I think one of our superpowers with introverts is we tend to prepare. Uh, having that focused effort beforehand, thinking about what we want to do and then showing up, not with not with a final script, right? But just having enough of a, a time to actually quietly think and process so that you can bring those ideas and be your best self in that team setting. I think a lot of people, a lot of meetings would be much more productively run if we, we actually gave people the chance to be prepared. And that's true for both extroverts and introverts. That's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you for joining us today, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. I think honestly that this is one of those interviews I'm actually going to remind myself to go back and listen to regularly at least once a year because it's one of those things that it's just so nice to be able to sit down and talk about being different or being different to what expectations may be uh, or the norm as well exactly being, and just maybe being, what's perceived as a norm and being open about it and just hmm. recognizing that there's nothing wrong with me i'm just i just like doing things a different way than usually people expect you to do it or is idealized i think as the as the behavior i mean especially i think you and i um but you mentioned on the episode but we we do talks we we do this and we, we are quite present and active in the industry, but still the way we actually recuperate is being by ourselves and reflecting and analyzing and, and spending all that alone time as well. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not a social butterfly, mm. using the example that Tim gave from the interview that, I mean, I, uh, reflecting on what you said there, I can see going back over the years that, yeah, I, I rely on other people to be that social butterfly because I've never I've never been comfortable with doing that mm. and and building up those um, networks and so on um, and yeah I, I I think it's important for us to um, create that space to be more open about who we are and and um, and not not try and kind of fake it till we make it I guess um, that's oh that's something that made me think about. Um, playing cricket because I play cricket as one of my hobbies and I'm when I'm batting I'm, I'm not 
I'm not an aggressive batter, which is which is not a great thing in the format of cricket I play because you you really do need, need to score some runs. Um, uh, but it's not my natural game, and I try to be more aggressive. And I get told though, um, no, don't, James. Mm. Play your natural game. Um, and if I do play my natural game, I actually play better. Exactly. Um, this is something yeah. I, you see coming up, you know, <laughs> again and again. That you know, don't try to be something you're not. Whether it's you know living up to expectations in social media or or your your career or or sport. Yeah, um, and that makes me think of just <laughs> my mother telling me as a child, just remember to be yourself. And then I spent thirty years being someone else, and then realized, oh, she was right. <laughs> it's much nicer <laughs> being myself. <laughs> But as we said, that that important flip side of this, if if you are being yourself, then you know we've really got to have climates and and cultures that allow you to be yourself and aren't judgmental and aren't kind of like shutting doors on you and closing lids and so on. And and yeah, you know, that's not always the case. Yeah. Um, which is what Tim's trying to to build up here and encourage and and you know. Um, developing leaders, especially design leaders. Exactly. Also, kind of wondered about the um, designers being doomed to be ambiverts. What I mean by that—that that is... was, that was actually super interesting. What his his experience with with the designers being most not being extroverts at all, not coming across many extroverts. That was really interesting. Yeah, that they're all, everyone's, well, everyone in his experience yeah. are introverts. And that's, I mean, I can really understand that and relate to it. And his his explanation about that or his idea behind it was really interesting. That you know, we, we as designers do a lot of um, thinking time, design time in our design bubbles. Um, but it's not something, we, we can't spend all our careers inside those design bubbles. We have to come out of them and, um, we have to communicate our designs. We have to um, hand over things to other um, colleagues. We have to work in teams to produce these things at times. So we're, so I say about designers, maybe we're doomed to be ambiverts, um, mm-hmm. that we have to work alone and we have to work together. Um, and and that's a, I think that's a really interesting thing to reflect on from a team building perspective. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you're talking about diversifying the team, as Tim did, uh, what does that mean? I mean, For me, it means then that you need to be more open about who you are so that we can um, cooperate in ways that make sense to each individual, that allow yeah. people to be the versions of themselves that they enjoy being. Mm, yeah, that doesn't so- mean that people can't change and, and evolve and be something different in the future, but it means that we need to keep that conversation open and, and ongoing. Yeah, it's a, it's a multi-dimensional spectrum that we've mm. got to deal with when trying to build a um, a balanced team. And I, I guess the, the another question, another thing that a thought, I suppose, that comes out from that is when you're asked to be a team player. Yeah. That you know, I mean, I don't spend all my time looking at job ads, but it, it's one of those things that traditionally comes up in job ads that they say you've got to be a mm. team player, and. I've, I've been reflecting a fair bit on that. I guess that, as can, well. that can what essentially mean? mean anything. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, how can you judge what a team <laughs> is without knowing the culture of that team? So if you're a team player, it depends on how that team plays. Hmm. So you know, how can you reply to that question in a in a recruitment? For situation? me, though, I mean, thinking because you using the word team when you were talking about cricket earlier, uh, hmm. for me it means that your friends telling you, "No, James, 
play like yourself, they are actually being team players because they're helping you be a better version that helps the team in the end. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, it, it reminds me of that cartoon I've seen. I don't know the exact words, but it's one extrovert person talking to an introvert and saying that I can help you be more extrovert and, and so on. And the introvert replies, well, I can help you be more introvert. Well, mm -hmm. and the, the extrovert, of course, replies, well, there's nothing wrong with me. To which the introvert says, well, there's nothing wrong with me either. And we have to just get away from this thought process that there's something wrong with introverts. There's nothing wrong. It's just that we do things differently. <laughs> yeah. And, and we are all different and all mm. quite complex. And exactly. Um, you know, uh, yeah, we aren't going to get all put into that little round hole all the time. Mm. I would love to hear feedback. It is, I, was, I was enticed by that suggestion he had about doing a survey. I don't think it will maybe get to that, but it would just be nice having, having some feedback from people on how, how this episode made them reflect upon themselves and their teammates. And also, more, more than welcome to, mm. to hear from you if you say you're an, if you uh, self-label as an extrovert or introvert, right. yes. or maybe you don't want to be labeled at all. Exactly. And I think for, uh, you can't really get away from the fact that um, recommended listening for this episode is probably going to have to be Imposter syndrome, of course. Which yes. is it made mm. me. Th I thought of that one when you actually said just now about how mm. there are certain episodes that y you know you think you should listen to every year, and I agree with you. There is a you know a number of mm. podcast episodes from us that, that I should go back to and listen to regularly because they are really healthy. The imposter syndrome episode is one of them, and yeah. I think that is actually one of our most listened to episodes. Looking at the stats, it is over the years. Yeah, yeah. But if you've already listened to that because given that it's one of the most listened to episodes that you possibly have, <laughs> then I haven't listened to this one in a while, but I remember being incredibly blown away by um, the the feeling and impression I got when listening to the episode. That was um, episode 173, Building a Team with um, Alyssa Briggs. Ooh, good one, yes. Yeah, so you know, to listen back to that now and reflect back on um, the advice that, Alyssa had about um, building design teams. And that's, that's, funny. that's about five years ago, I think, that now as well, episode. Mm. I'm going to use my exit phrase now to avoid further conversation. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Mm.